Welcome to the family with Doug Sprinthal, Alex Bernard Rasmussen, <laughs> co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brandt Bernard, Melissa Bernard. God, I'm outnumbered. And we'll be right back. <laughs> what? I said I'm outnumbered. You're outnumbered. There's a lot of Bernards. Hi, Bernards. Oh yeah. Not up, Bernards. It's true. We'll be right back. Kick things off with the family. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Ladies and gentlemen, Doug Sprinthal, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. Important PSA coming. See, I did that so people lean in a little bit. It's a technique I learned. Very sad. It's a little chilly this morning, nine below, and it's going to be cold the next couple days until it gets warm enough to snow. If you are driving a modern car with a low tire pressure warning system, chances are pretty good this morning that you saw the little yellow flat tire looking thing if you, you make an appointment at a walzer store and they can fix that for you so you don't have to keep adding air they have uh, most of our service departments have nitrogen machines and they will take the air out of your tires and replace them with nitrogen nitrogen is much less susceptible to variation in temperatures it's about i don't know i think it's 30 or 35 bucks or something like that but it's uh it's, it's what it. they use in racing cars and airplane uh, jetliner tires and tom's car has it so Ah. Well, it does, absolutely. You love it. You can absolutely love it. it. You can go to walzer.com, hit service, and talk to somebody and find out which uh, which of our stores nearest you has a nitrogen machine. I think about three-quarters of the stores have them. That's what I got. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all true. Doug Sprinthal wants us all to take the gas. Way to go. Way to go, my friend. He's back to dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Andy with a rock and roll. Rock digging up a storm. And also roll. We're rocking out, man. Yeah, man. How you doing? How's everything so, going? So well, it's good now we're, we're good. inside. Yeah, it's cold <laughs> yeah, well, outside. True. I'm finally not coughing 24 hours a day. I actually slept yeah, you through sound the night a lot yesterday. Better. Wow. All right. You did? Yeah. I did. I didn't. Well, I would have. Yeah. Not for my children. I was trying to get a hold of an entire company yesterday, and everybody's out with the flu or pneumonia or something. I know. That's about right. I guess, this yeah. This year's it's yeah, just, like, especially bad, bad apparently. Well, I, I should know. This is the sickest I think I've ever been, honestly. Except when I had the flu when I was like twelve. I could see that. Yeah, what's the deal? Um, this is the fifth year U.S. News and World Report has put out its best countries report. One country has dominated every year. 
um, but one. Uh, it's not surprising which country is the number one rated country in the world at all. Uh, Norway? Let me run. No, Norway's number 10, actually. Uh-huh. I, I got a guess, but I'll wait. Number one country for what? Just says uh, the 10 best nations on earth. It, like it, That's what it just best says. Best in general. And mm. Just overall. Can I guess? Actually, <laughs> yes. New Zealand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, not even on the list. Wow. wow. Apparently they've changed the criteria. This is according to who? This is according to U.S. News and World Report. Okay. U.S. News. Be pretty interesting. Okay, number ten is Norway. Number nine, the Netherlands. Number eight, Sweden. Number seven is the United States. So they think six countries are better than the United States. Well, and they call but themselves I U.S. News. More like communist yeah, exactly. news. Communist news. Yeah, there you go. Actually, uh, I was looking at the top countries, all but two of them we give money to. <laughs> so they're the best nations because they have our money. Oh, okay. There you go. That makes no sense. But uh, So, yeah, the United States is number seven. United Kingdom is number six. You get to the top five, Australia is number five. Germany is number four. That surprises me. If it weren't for the United States, Germany would go under. I thought Germany's economy was great. It is, only because of the United States, though. Oh. Uh, Japan's number three. Hmm. Canada is number two. Yeah, I was going to say Canada's got to be way up there. We do love Canada. What's the number one? The bet. Catherine and I were just there. Cuba? Switzerland. No. Yes, Cuba. Cuba. Somalia. People yeah. are starving Cuba. to death. Yes, Somalia. That's exactly what it is. Cuba is great. Switzerland. Is it great? Yes, yeah, it's Cuba. Is it Switzerland? Switzerland is number one. That's exactly right. Of course right. it is, because yeah. my theory is they have a whole military and huge yep. thing hiding in their mountain, and one day... We're all going to regret not living there when the world goes to hell. Honestly, Switzerland is one of those places where if they'd let you in, you'd move there. But But they don't. They They will let you move in. They'll let you move there. I mean, like, you just have to have a ton of money. No, if you start a business or um, get a job, you can move there. I've heard that it's impossible to get in Switzerland. It's not that hard to get into Switzerland. Uh, it, it maybe used to be, but as long as you contribute, they'll let you in. But it's hard to stay there. You're right about that, Andy, oh, well, yeah. to, I mean, to, like, get, to stay there permanently. Become a citizen. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's hard. Well, yeah, if you're just going to go there and then get kicked out in a year, what's the point? Well, you have to learn, try to learn their language, and you have to, try to, you have to be enmeshed in their culture. <laughs> Otherwise, they don't want you there. You know what I discovered this morning on the on the morning show, the KQ morning show? Guess the percentage of population in the Western Hemisphere. The world population, the percentage of population in the Western Hemisphere. Like 20? Anybody else with a guess? 30. Well, what, what do you mean the population? How many billions of people are in the like Western Hemisphere? What percent hemisphere? of the pro- population of Earth lives in oh, the Western percent oh, of the population the of the Earth. Percentage. Okay. Yeah, yep. I'd go with 25%, maybe. You go 25%? Anyone? Anyone else? So we got 20, we got 25, and we got, what did you say, Andy, 18? I said 30. I said you 20. said there were 20, 30, and what? Okay, 20, 30, and what was the other one? 25. I guess it's 18, 25. 25. No, you said 20. Okay. It is 18. <clears throat> oh, it's 18%. Is that it is all? 18, that is all. 82% of the people on Earth live in the Eastern Hemisphere, yet somehow the United States is the worst with the global warming. Explain China that to me. And India alone, you know, 
That's two well, sevenths of the world population. It depends on how you measure it. So if you measure it in terms of just raw output, we're not the worst. Uh, China is. If you measure it by population, we are. No, we're not. Per capita, our emissions are high. But the problem with that is it's because we ship everything everywhere and we order everything right. from That's everywhere. True. It's all this That's like exactly shipping crap across about. the ocean. The average American yep. doesn't pollute that much more than anyone else, but the country produces more because we insist on buying everything. You know, every time you buy something yes. from China, it has to travel, what, like 10,000 miles in a ship mm-hmm. that has yeah. half a gallon to, or, or half a mile to the gallon? You know, that's just not yeah. good. Well, actually, it's more like seven gallons to the mile. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's so, like seven gallons a mile. That's why. You're absolutely right. That is why. The number one thing, if you're concerned about your carbon footprint, is stop buying things from the Eastern Hemisphere. Right. I thought you were about to say stop buying cars, and I was going to have to leave. (laughs) Good luck with that. All those iPhones. You won't be able to get a cell phone or a computer or anything. Yeah, that's the thing. Everything's Japan and South Korea are like, you know. They're still they're still the tech hub of the world. So if you want to buy a right. nice, like smartphone yeah. or a computer, then you're going to buy from them. But you know, just stop buying little things from China. Trinkets. <laughs> stop buying your trinket tree. No yeah, trinket tree. Exactly. No trinkets. No trinkets for you. That's all we have to say. So yeah, Switzerland's the best country in the world. The United States is the seventh best country in the world. Um, Doug, I want to get your take on the uh, the China deal because. I uh, I asked several people to call in this morning. You know, I, I they heard, called in. I heard you. I heard that segment, and I honestly don't think I know enough to have a very good opinion. I, I know that oh, this is really? the first phase of what really will be a three-phase deal. But on car selling secrets, you know, Tom Horner is coming in today. He's very politically oh, okay. astute, and he's an independent. I, I you know I knew some interesting stuff about him, and we'll talk about this more when he's here. But he was really probably the reason that Dayton won in 2010. He captured 12% of the uh, independent vote, which was mostly came from the Republican side, which is what he was before he said. And the reason that he changed is because he thought the two parties were too extreme. So I'm sure he's probably got a little bit more educated opinion about the the trade deal uh, than I do. Well, yeah, we'll talk to him about that because I find that to be fascinating. Because the newspapers are not covering it at all, the new the television stations are not covering it at all. Do you think it's it's responsible to not cover a story just because you don't like the president? No, I, I do. I think that's irresponsible. Uh, Disgusting. And, and sticking up for uh, Minnesota Public Radio, they did about a half an hour on it yesterday afternoon. And I did oh, learn a few things, good. and they focused on uh, the value of trying to get. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Intellectual, um, what is it? Property, yeah. Property rights. Intellectual property, restored. Yeah. And they have a yeah. long way to go. But this guy said that's really, you know, the, the tariffs back and forth on the goods are really kind of secondary compared to what they're trying to get done on that front. So, Yeah, that's terrific. I mean, I, I just... Uh, a lot of people in the particularly farmers called in and said no 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 this is a big deal this is this we've been losing money because of the previous administrations they said administrations not administration 
uh, they've been losing money ever since, and now this is the beginning of bringing it back. They didn't say it's going to bring it back yet, but they said it's the beginning of bringing it back. Yeah, they, they've really had a, a tough go of it, especially the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were driving to uh, uh, Nashville. We drove, you know, drove through Iowa, and I was listening. I always listen to local radio, AM radio when I travel, mm-hmm. and they had That's some good idea. farm guys on. And you know, everybody kind of. If, 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 you have to realize how sophisticated modern farming is. These guys and gals are really oh, yeah. sharp, and they keep their eye on all this sort of stuff. And they, they really had a tough time uh, during the trade war, and even though the government was taking some of that tariff money in and giving it to them for relief. I think, uh, I think that the farmers are generally relieved, so that's a good thing. I also talked, not on the air, but off the air, I talked to a couple of attorneys in the know about this. And I asked them to please name the last, uh, well, here's the headline. Government Accountability Office says, yes, Trump violated the law. So I asked them both, name the last president who didn't violate the law, and they said, who? Well, let's see, George Washington? (laughs) (laughs) No, he actually did. They went back a while. Yeah. Yeah, I don't Uh, think the British law system was too happy about what he did. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Probably true. They they defend Jimmy Carter and saying that he he wouldn't knowingly have violated the law. Probably didn't. You think that's probably that's probably true? You think? I you know I'm a Jimmy Carter. As you know, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Carter's. I think that he yeah, restored too. a moral center to the country that we needed after uh, the Vietnam War and Nixon. Um, yep. And I would agree that he probably yep. didn't do anything knowingly that was illegal. I also think that he was. I've read a lot about him in the last year or so, and everybody says, oh, yeah, and the economy was terrible and so on and so forth. That was really mm-hmm. by design. They jacked the interest rates up to keep uh, from inflation from ruining the economy. So you can make an right. argument that Carter sacrificed his presidency to save the U.S. economy. I think that gets yeah, lost I agree. in a lot of people. But he was uh, – and is still just a wonderful human being, I think. Yeah, he seems to be. I, I've never spoken to him. I, I, maybe I did, maybe way, way back in the day. I don't, I don't remember doing it though, so I doubt that I did. But I was a, He's just such an even keel guy. He's he hasn't joined in on this. Let's destroy the president. Yeah, he just doesn't do things like that, which I really no. admire. I don't know, but but it's true. I looked at. I, but I asked him this morning, uh, because there's a headline on Newser, Government Accountability Office, yes, Trump violated the law. So I asked him, who's the last president who didn't violate the law? And they actually, they only came up with two presidents who didn't. So the rest of them all did. Huh. So Isn't Jimmy Carter and then the guy that died on an, a, a week after he was After two days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was like, it. Cotton and and died. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh Look, about I don't... That. I don't like the fact that Trump violated the law, but I didn't like the fact that apparently Obama did and George W. Bush did. And, uh, you know, you keep going down the list of these people that, that, you know, Bill Clinton certainly violated. Well, he was convicted of felonies, so, you know, he broke the law. Um, But I I just do you think we'll ever get past this? We he's the cause of all our problems. Yeah, it's very immature and really unhealthy to blame all your problems on one other person. Yeah, it's not healthy for you. Don't do that. It's not good for you in the long run. Stay away from it at all costs. You heard me. Now, by the same token, Government Accountability Office, yes, all morning radio people violate the law. So, you know, <laughs> moving on to that story. 
I was trying to think of the last morning show host that I knew who's never violated. I've never, I've never been arrested. I've never violated. The, only, the worst thing I've ever gotten was a ticket. Really? But, what do you mean, really? What's that supposed to mean? I don't know. I thought that you said that you were incarcerated, weren't you? No, I was never in jail. <laughs> locked in the jail. Listen to my one. I'm locked in the jail of like oh. not yesterday. Catherine didn't get any sleep yesterday. I was like, God, isn't it beautiful, Catherine? What do you know? That's not what happened. Crabby Appleton. That's okay. Crabby Appleton. Tell yourself whatever you need to. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. All I know is, (laughs) hey, let's have a vote. When's the last time Catherine violated the law? That's what we want to know. I I do speed on occasion. No, you're not bad though. You don't speed very much, to tell you the truth. You don't, you don't, you're not. We don't really have lawbreakers in our family. Do you have a lawbreaker in your family, Doug? Well, I would. It would have been me. <laughs> it would have been you. That's what I thought. That's why I asked. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I broke a, broke a few. I've never done hard. They broke time, a few laws. Never been. Well, in see, that's house. good. No, I've never done one minute in jail, and I'm very, very happy that because uh, you know, obviously, growing up, a lot of guys that went to jail all the time, and our friend Louie, he would come back. Not the Louis you're thinking of. It was a different guy. I don't want to give his last name because, you know, he's got family still living in North Minneapolis. But he was a big guy, like a big, broad-shouldered, you know, tough guy. Every time he came home after a jail stint, somebody had beaten the hell out of him. And I said, Louis, what happened? He goes, same thing. I said, what's the same thing? He goes, I don't know, man, but every time they transfer me to my jail cell, for some reason, the elevator stops between floors every oh, time. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That used to happen <laughs> in the old courthouse downtown in the 70s yep, from time that's to exactly time. What I'm, yep, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's yep. exactly where he was in jail. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just stick between floors. I don't know how that happened. We'll take a break. Be right back with uh, part two. All right, babe. Oh, that's matter of fact, that's the timer going off to tell me that it's time to go to break. Yeah, here's the We'll be back. Tom Bernard with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, we've been talking about North American Banking Company for a few years now. One thing we've discussed is that the bank is locally owned and operated. Well, how does that benefit your customer? Tommy, projects and opportunities for expansion come up quickly for business owners. A locally owned and managed bank like North American Banking Company means decisions can be made just as quickly. We know Minnesota. We live in the communities we serve. So we have experience and firsthand knowledge for what's happening in your life where you live. That means decisions are made here. We don't ship them off or pass the buck someplace out of state. Finally, getting our customers quick answers allows them to take decisive action, and that's how business gets done. Man, Michael, you're getting good at this. Practice makes perfect. Uh, Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. 2020 never looks so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. I've never looked back from having LASIK myself, and with Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, you can trust you're amongst the best in the business. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you, just like they did for me. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. Imagine 2020 or better 
in 2020. And let 2020 be your best year yet with LASIK at Whiting Clinic. LASIK results may vary. Talk to your Whiting Clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential. Who's our special guest, Father Perman? <laughs> that I was going to say. It's the Swish National Anthem. <laughs> oh, is it really? Yes, it is. The Swish, Swiss, Swiss National Anthem. It's called Swiss, 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 Swiss Psalm. I'm not really into rhythm Swiss songs. Yeah, this isn't really. exactly no. up there. No. no. Well, I mean, I'm sure it was written 400 years ago. Yeah. So. No you updates. ever been there, Doug? I, I, the only place in Europe I've been to was England, and that was 25 years ago. Yeah. Oh, God, Switzerland Thank is you. a great country. Probably been about 20 years for me, too, so... Yeah, yeah, that's probably about right, about 20 years. But yeah, Switzerland is a great country. If you ever get a chance to go there, ladies and gentlemen, go, because it's phenomenal. And if you can go down the Rhine on a boat, go to Germany, go to France, go to the Netherlands, go to Switzerland, it's fantastic. Lake Luzerne is one place everyone should go before they croak. Really cool place. Sarah's parents went on that uh, same Viking boat. Uh, river trip that you guys took a couple of years ago. Oh, they love. Oh, really? It. Yeah, they just. They yeah, totally it's great. It. Schweizer Psalm. It is a was written in eighteen forty one. Schweizer. That's how you say uh, Switzerland. Apparently, Schweizer. Not in German. And it was written. Not in German. Apparently, in German. I, well, they have. I think they it speak is. German, but it's weird German. They speak German and it's a French, Swiss I think, German. don't they? Well, in but it's Swiss- a combination of the two. Yeah, in Switzerland, it like basically depends on what town you live in, what language you speak. Yeah, which is one of the tough things about living there. It's like it's literally like you go ten miles away, they speak a different dialect that you can't even understand. Mm. All right, I'm going to do a little quiz, and you can't look up the answer and cheat. Oh, my phone's okay, dead. You ready? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Okay, good. Normally I'd cheat. Allie's and I are out. (laughs) You know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson's father has died. (laughs) I did not know that. You knew that, that, right? I didn't. I didn't hear that? No. WWE Hall of Famer Rocky Johnson, father of Dwayne the Rock Johnson, has died at age 75. Sports journalist Dave Meltzer broke the news, later confirmed by the WWE in a Wednesday tweet per People. Born Wade Douglas Bowles. The Canadian competed in the National Wrestling Alliance before joining the WWE in 1983, partnering with Tony Atlas. He became half of the first black tag team, he and Tony Atlas. What was the name of the tag team? The first black tag team in professional wrestling. The Flying Bros. Come on, yeah. Ah, That's close. Is it really? Uh, You're close. Dear, I have 1983. No idea. First black tag team. You ready? Yep. Come on, man. We're sitting down. I have no idea. Yeah, we're <laughs> waiting. Tag team. The first black tag team's name was the Soul Patrol. Oh, oh. Patrol. Of course it was. I like it. The Soul Patrol. Fantastic. Really? Wait, the, the Rock? Is he black? He's half. He yeah. Half. Well, he's half yeah. black, yeah. Oh, I guess that's good enough for the Soul Patrol. No, The Rock's His dad, dad yeah, was black. He was oh, in the, the Soul Rock's Patrol. Oh, The Rock's dad was in The Soul Yeah, oh. His name was Rocky. Yes. Okay. That Rocky Johnson. Sense. Now he's following. Now exactly. he's on the same page. Always, now he's paying attention. I've always enjoyed the subtlety of the professional wrestling organization. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, very subtle. I have yeah. a friend that's a talent agent, and she represents some wrestlers, and so she goes to a lot of wrestling things. She's like, it's just so funny. 
Oh, yeah, it's a whole different... Well, Catherine, why don't you tell uh, your story about the first time you went to a professional wrestling match? The first and only time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Somebody wanted to go, so I'm like, all right, I'll go. And so we were sitting there watching this thing, and I don't even remember who the wrestlers were, but... So there's a big, you know, body slam, and the woman in front of me that had, like, three teeth and uh, turns to her husband slash boyfriend whatever he was with that had one tooth and said that reminds me about the first time you hit me wow i'm like not my crowd not your crowd i gotta go the beverly hillbillies yeah i gotta go oh my gosh yeah the first time you hit me super cash yeah yeah Wow. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm like, what did she just say? <laughs> oh, boy. I yeah. love it. After retiring in 1991, Rocky Johnson trained his son, who would become the first black WWE champion per the CBC. He would kick my ass from one side of the gym to the other for years, Dwayne later said for people. I hated it when I was a kid, but I feel grateful for it as a man. Oh. Uh, It's a good thing you feel grateful because you're a multi, 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 multi millionaire because your dad trained you to be a wrestler. He's a right. large man. You know, when you talk to Greg Gagne, he'll, he'll tell you the exact same story about his dad. They had oh, yeah. training sure. set up out in a barn out west of town where, where Vern had a spread, and they'd be oh, out really? there in the wintertime yep. with no heat, just oh, God. beating the crap out of people. Wow. No thanks. Jeez. My kids can be poor, and I won't beat them up. <laughs> did uh, Did anyone ever tell you what used to be in in the vestibule of Vern Gagne's house? Vestibule. Vestibule. Hmm. No. Which vestibule? Okay. The receive the receiving the foyer. Let's put it that way. What was in the foyer of Vern's house? His. No idea. A six foot statue of himself. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> I loved Vern. Did you guys ever know Vern? Vern I, was a great guy. I met guy. him. Greg and I worked together for six or seven years, right. and it was right. His dad was he was still doing okay. You know, he 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 succumbed to Alzheimer's a little bit later, but I right. did meet him a few times. Yep. And I, I, the first time I met him, I was shocked how big he was because Greg isn't. Greg's about yeah. my size. He's like six three, and yeah, he, when he was mm-hmm. uh, training, he was probably two hundred pounds, but. Vern is a. He, I stuck my hand in there and I couldn't see any of it. Wow. <laughs> you know, his hand <laughs> yeah, was just enormous. Go. It was like putting on a mitten. Yeah, he was a big fella. <laughs> He's Canadian too, I think. I think Vern's from Canada, isn't he? I I, think. Well, I don't know. I just assumed he was a Minnesotan, but. Because he wrestled uh, at the he, U he of did. M, right? He did, yes. Yes, he did. But for some reason, I thought he was Canadian. Maybe he might not have. I don't know. We could look it up, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, Greg Gagne is a great guy. His dad, Vern, was a terrific guy. My favorite wrestler of all time as far as that whole attitude is concerned. Uh, When I used to interview, when I was at WDGY, it was one of my jobs to interview the wrestlers because they actually played wrestling on the radio back then, if you can believe it. (laughs) If you'd like to be the play-by-play guy for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But uh, I would do, uh, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest, uh, Baron Von Raschke. So I'd say to Baron, and Baron calling, hey, Tom, how you doing? How's everything going? Everything good? <laughs> I said, okay, uh, I'll give you the countdown. You can go into your, your spiel. And I go, three, two, one. Saturday night at the St. Paul Auditorium, <laughs> I will cut people in half. It's going to be unbelievable. So Nick Bockwinkle comes in. Nick right? Bockwinkle. He was the he was the world champion of the AWA for a long time. 
Nick Bockwinkle comes in, and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do then. I'll give you the countdown, three, three, two, one, and then you can go into your uh, deal. And he goes, what? I said, well, I'll just do the countdown. He goes, what do you mean deal? I don't have a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Settle down, Nick. Yeah, that was an interesting life back then, interviewing all of those. Well, I became friends with a lot of them. I I would consider Greg Gagne to be a close friend. He's a great guy. Uh, Greg tells wonderful stories. My favorite one. Now, most of those guys did put on acts, but the guy that everybody was scared of was Mad Dog. Because he was was not acting. He was crazy. And he tells a story. They chartered a plane to fly from (sighs) Omaha to uh, Flying Cloud Airport. So, you know, a little small twin probably held eight, nine people. And Brunzel decided it was after the match that it would be a good time for uh, Mad Dog to experience the joys of marijuana. So after about a bottle of Jack Daniels, he gets Mad Dog stoned, and they get on the plane. And they're flying along at 20,000 feet. All of a sudden, they hear this whoosh. He'd opened the door, you know, the kind of ones that flop open down. And he's back there going, oh, it is so beautiful. And they went to try to grab him, and he started throwing their bags out of the airplane at 20,000 feet. Oh, my God. They had to make an emergency landing in Iowa, and he started running across an active runway when there was a DC-9 taking yeah. off, and Brunzel oh. and Gagne had to tackle him before he got hit by a plane. What uh, kind of geef did they have? Yeah, well, but he was, he was apparently that crazy without drugs. Yeah. It, oh. Gags oh, told yeah. me a story. They were all in Japan, and he got pissed at Jesse Ventura, and Jesse was scared, and he ran into the locker room, locked himself oh, in. Oh, yeah. Because oh. yep. he was he was kind of truly crazy. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, Mad Dog was nuts. There's no question well, about did, that. I'll call Gags. We should get him on. He could do car selling secrets on Thursday. That'd be fun. Oh, he's been on the podcast before. He's a great yeah. guest. Yes, well, we were on he's together really good, once, and really I think good. we just ripped each other yep. for about an hour, if I remember right. Uh, a, Which is always fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could I could hear that again. That would work for me. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. The other guy that I'll never forget, of course, is the Crusher. And the Crusher comes out one time, and they got the, you know, they're, so, Crusher, tell us all about what happened on Saturday night. A pretty rough deal for you, from what I understand. And he goes, that's right, Marty. Saturday night at the St. Paul Auditorium. I got a thousand stitches in my head. I lost a gallon of blood. <laughs> well, since you only have five quarts, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, that's... You're going to be a little dizzy. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get a little dizzy, buddy. Got a thousand stitches in his head. A thousand. Yeah, maybe not. One thousand. A thousand, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he lost a gallon of blood, too, so let's not forget about that. Yeah. Uh, and then the other time he came in, you know those, those little uh, plastic kind of six-inch deep pools that People used to lay and they put water in the land to get a suntan. Oh, like Remember? a kiddie pool? Well, it's, this is actually for suntanning, though. Well, oh, it looked like a bobsled, kind of. I do right? not know that. Okay. Well, basically, it's just, it looked like a bobsled. It's only about a six inches deep and it, it, it was all mm-hmm. plastic. So, Crusher walks out on camera. He's got that, that you know, tanning boat with him. Damn. And he's also got a 28 ounce framing hammer. Oh. And he goes, Marty! I came out to tell you something. I, I'm going to have a great weekend because I'm going to go out to Lake Minnetinki. <laughs> <laughs> Lake Minnetinki. Minnetinki. Yeah. He goes, I got my boat here. This boat is unbelievable. It's the best boat ever made. So I row out there in the middle of Lake Minnetinki. I lean over the side and give the fish call that only I know about. All the big ones fish come to the top of 
fish call, the only one that I know about, all the big fish come to the top, and I hit them in the head with my framing hammer. There you go. <laughs> That's one way to do it. God. That was so entertaining as a kid. I can't. I used to laugh every Saturday night. It, well, was it really wonderful. is aimed at nine-year-old boys, right? Yeah. Well, that's true. That pretty much is true. But, hey, I used to sit around and squeal and watch it with the dog and Lyle Johnson and all those guys. I bet that we was used to fun. love watching Saturday Night Wrestling. Oh, it was the greatest. Oh, laugh. And then, of course, after a few more beers, they'd all start trying to holds on each other. Oh, of course. Oh, like, Okay, let's not do that because you're going to pop a bolt. You're going to get hurt. Indeed. But, you know, those are great memories of a child. Something like all-star wrestling. Yeah, I remember my brother Terry always watched them. I remember thinking he was quite weird to watch all those guys running around in their underwear. (laughs) Not their underwear. They're professional gym shorts. That's what those are right there. I was kind of surprised that my mother would let him watch that with the guys running around in their underwear. I suppose, yeah. Yeah. I suppose that's right. Well, wait a minute. I just got a headline here. Harry returns to royal duty. I thought they weren't going to do that anymore. Maybe he had like a couple on the books that he couldn't get out of. Oh, he's greeting school children. God, that's got to be tough, Harry. How can you work that hard? Yeah, wow. Man. Be like me. Did you Get see? Get paid and don't do anything. Did you see that story on what Meghan Markle's sister told Harry? No. Ugh. Harry, don't do this. She's extremely self-involved. She's the most selfish human being I've ever met in my life. It's all about her. Don't marry her. Oh. Her own sister told him that. Wow. Well, I'd, see, I'd love to see the Christmas cards. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those got to be pretty. Well, the old man, wasn't he like a soak? Yeah, there was. I Isn't Megan Mark? Yeah, he's so, a booze hound, if I remember. Well, I think Tevin's got. Tevin said that he thinks that the reason why they wanted to move to Canada is so she could get a show. Yep, I don't doubt it. And that makes perfect sense. It does. More me now. But that's what her sister said. She said she's going to make this all about herself, Harry, or William, or which one. Yeah, it's Harry. So I, I don't explain what the big furor is. They don't want to hang out in England. They want to go to Canada, and that's every everybody's upset about that? I, I don't get it. No, it's the fact that she insulted the queen, basically. Well, they don't well, want she, to be royals yeah. in duty, but they want to be royals in privilege. Oh, they yes. want the check. They just don't want to do the four exactly. four hours of a week that that they got to put in. Yeah. Okay. Well, they said they didn't want the money, but for some reason they're still collecting yeah, it. So if you don't want it, why are you still collecting it? Had a feeling they're going to keep the money. They well, they want to keep their house. I know that, which the taxpayers uh, ponied up to pay for. So I, I don't know. The, I don't understand the whole thing at all. Yeah, I don't either. Why'd you marry into the royal family if you didn't want to be a member of the royal family? I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I'm a member of the the Royal Brant family now, and I consider it a high honor. <laughs> well, I mean, I do understand that there's a lot of pressure and, you know, all that to be constantly... They have a lot of protocol, and they have a lot of, you know, time constraints. It's not, it's not your own life anymore. It's not like it's a job that you chose. Yeah, yeah. I understand that, but... You can't marry into it and not think that that's how, what's going to happen. Yeah, I would agree. I'm pretty sure they're prepped on what it's going to be like being a member of the royal family. Yeah. We got to get moving. We got a special guest coming up next with the family. 
Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Some people call me the space cowboy, yeah. Some call me the gangster of love. I don't choose this. I hit random. You know? <laughs> you hit random. Some people call it a gangster of love. Just so you know. <laughs> it's Steve Miller. Don't mess with Steve Miller. Is our special guest ready to go? Yep. Rizwan Verk. Was I even close with the pronunciation of your name, sir? Uh, yeah, you can just call me Riz. Just Riz. But do you pronounce the last name Verk? Uh, Verk, yep. That's close enough. Verk. Riz Verk, I like it. Or just RV. Ooh, RV, that's not bad. That's pretty good. Riz Verk with us, ladies and gentlemen. The simulation hypothesis. An MIT computer scientist shows why AI, quantum physics, and Eastern mystics all agree we are in a video game. Should I be terrified of this, Riz? Well, not necessarily. You know, it depends on the type of video game that we're all inside. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I, I didn't think of it that way. So Most what is people the tend simu- to think of you know, the movie The Matrix, which came out uh, about 20 years ago, and there's a fourth one coming out, uh, you know, where Keanu Reeves' character was inside The Matrix, and he took his life to be real, and everything seemed real until he woke up and found there was a group of super-intelligent machines that had been holding humans captive. <laughs> now, that's no. only one possibility. Uh, so that one might be a little terrifying. The Simulation Hypothesis by best-selling author, renowned MIT computer scientist, and Silicon Valley video game designer Riz Verk is the first serious book to explain one of the most daring and consequential theories of our time. Riz is the executive director of Play Labs at MIT, a video game startup incubator at the MIT Game Lab. Andy, you should apply for a job that's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah? Don't you think? Are you a big video game guy, Andy? Well, I'm a big, I'm a big video game player guy, not maker <laughs> so much. That was a dream of mine at one point, but it's it's really tough to get into that industry, especially right now. So much competition. Oh, really? I suppose. I don't know. It's uh, mate. We need to come up with it. 
Uh, Riz, Andy, why don't you get it together and come up with a new game? Because since uh, since Tiger Woods kind of hit the wall socially, <laughs> uh, they, the last time they put out one of his games was in 2012. I need a new golf game to play. So the two of you <laughs> put it together and get it done, all right? <laughs> well, there you go. We'll make it in uh, virtual reality. Um, and, you know, the, the idea for this book kind of came to me when I was playing a virtual reality ping pong game man, a couple of years ago. Um, and we do a lot of VR and AR at the MIT Game Lab. And as I was playing this, this uh, virtual table tennis game, it felt so real that I forgot that I was actually playing a game. And at the end of the game, I, like, put the paddle on the table, and I leaned against the table. But, of course, there was no table because I had these virtual reality glasses on, oh. uh, and there was no paddle. And it fell down, and I almost fell over. And that's when I realized that you know, our technology was getting to the point where yeah. we would start to take video games very seriously. Hmm. Uh, and I have to know, ask this, you a question. What? Sorry, go oh, ahead. Go ahead, sir. I just want to ask you very, very quickly about... No, you want, I, I'd rather have you finish because it's, this is a bit off topic. Sure. Well, so, you know, that kind of got me thinking to, you know, what would it take for us as video game developers to create fully immersive, matrix-like uh, virtual worlds where we would totally forget that we were you know, actually playing video games. And so I came up with these 10 stages that I call the road to the simulation point. And, you know, my guess is we'll be there uh, within a certain period of time. And, and the reason people take this idea seriously now is there was a professor at Oxford, Nick Bostrom, who said that if any civilization ever gets to that point where it can create ultra-realistic video games uh, that are indistinguishable for reality, then it's possible that it's already happened somewhere history of the universe, mm-hmm. and the chances that mm-hmm. we are inside the video game are actually much higher than we're outside of the video game. So that's kind of some of the thinking mm-hmm. that, that you know led to this book and, and why people are talking about this, to- this topic so much these days. I'm thinking of going hiding under the bed. Is that okay, Riz? <laughs> sure. I mean, the, the bigger <laughs> question that comes up, and, and perhaps this is the one where you should be terrified, is, you know, are we NPCs? which stands for non-player or non-playable characters inside video games. They're like the AIs. Or is it an RPG, a role-playing game, where we actually exist outside the video game and we're playing characters inside the video game? Uh, And that's actually, you know, as I started to do the research, I found that actually most religions are telling us that, that we are actually souls and Mm -hmm. we exist outside of the game. But we have this temporary world where we're being, watched by other entities and we're playing these roles and we'll get a score you know at the end uh, after we're done and, and so depending on which version of the theory you subscribe to most scientists today think it's more the ai the npc theory whereas you know most religious types would say it's more like uh, the rpg version of the simulation hypothesis and in the book i go into much more detail on both of those now riz let me ask you this is this is what has bothered me for some time. I, uh, I've been talking about this on the show for for a few years. Uh, we ha- live in a very angry society, particularly in America, but around the world, a very angry society where people just, uh, boy, the hatred is just very evident. And I'm wondering if that's part of, of game playing anyway, that they're, they're, the rewards don't come as quickly in real life as in a video game. Uh, but it's also a situation where uh, yeah, I, I just don't get rewarded enough, but I can then pretty much do whatever I want to move ahead. And if I have to destroy somebody in a video game, in real life I could do that by just trying to destroy their lives by accusing them thing, of the things they never did. 
I mean, is that part of how we think now because of video games? Well, I think that's, you know, maybe there because of not just video games, but of the Internet in general, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where yeah, yeah, we, we right, tend not to right. be very nice to people on Twitter and Ugh. online, whereas if we were to interact with them personally, you know, we might never say things like that or we would be more polite or more considerate. Um, so I don't think video games alone are to blame for, for people right. necessarily being angry. But, you know, sometimes people say, well, hey, if, if we were inside a video game, if I was going to design it, I would make it where, you know, I was a trillionaire and <laughs> everything was going great. <laughs> right. I wouldn't have all this crap you know, that I have to deal with day to day. And, you know, my answer to that is, well, most video games are only interesting because there are challenges, right, uh, right. in the game. And you have to kind of meet those challenges. You have to go on quests. And you have achievements. And you level up that way. Uh, I mean, in, in fact, I don't know if you, you guys saw the, the after the first Matrix movie, the second or third one, I believe, you know, they said the first version of the Matrix was one where everything was great yep. and everyone was happy. <laughs> but turns out in that, in that case, the humans didn't accept that as uh, a real life version oh. of a video game. Oh, so they God. had to introduce challenges and make it more drab. So that was kind of interesting aside there, I think. Oh, yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, playing Turok and stuff like that, the first thing I would do is I was put in codes, make myself invulnerable, give myself all the weapons, and just, you know, romp around with no real goal. But once you grow up, that doesn't really cut it anymore. It just, you know, you're this all-powerful entity, but there's no point, so it just feels like, why am I even doing this? Right. In fact, the challenge of the game know that that's what makes the game interesting and that that, you know nolan bushnell who was the founder of atari you know talked about making games simple to learn but difficult Mm -hmm. to master and you know when i was a kid i used to play the old atari games like space invaders and pac-man and and of course today we have you know fortnite and world of warcraft we have you know much more immersive 3d worlds and that they're becoming more like virtual worlds than just video games uh, and we are all we all have avatars, you know, inside these games who represent us, um, and that's kind of you know where things have evolved to. Uh, and I see that stage three on the road to the simulation point. Uh, we've got a few stages to go, but we'll be there in a few decades, I think. Yeah. It is crazy to think that my mage in World of Warcraft is 16 years old now. He's been that's around right. for yeah, longer actually. than <laughs> World of Warcraft is kind of an older game yeah. now, right? Most yeah. kids today are playing Fortnite and mm-hmm. other games on, on, on the mobile device. Even uh, League of Legends is relatively old at this point. Yeah, I suppose. I think it's been well, around for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. What's Pac-Man? Pac-Man's over 40 years old, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And, you know, wh- one of the reasons why people started oh, talking man. about this idea was Elon Musk a couple years ago said, you know, 40 years ago right. we had two squares and a dot, the game Pong, right, which was the first yep. readily available video game. And you look at where video games are today, and so yeah, Pac-Man was I think 1980, right? Yeah, so it was 40 years ago, absolutely. Uh, Because the reason I know that, and it popped into my head, is that I met my lovely wife 40 years ago, and the first thing she did was ruin my life by making me play Ms. Pac-Man. What do you think of that? (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't uh, you know quite the same experience. It's funny when you just change you just change a, a graphic. On a video game, it, it, it makes a difference in the way people perceive that game, even though the gameplay might be exactly the same. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. I think it is pretty amazing. Well, so so 
Is there one group of people that's responsible for for this huge onset of video games? I mean, like you said, Pong came out, and that was, you know, you hit the little thing back and forth, and you mentioned Space Invaders, and, and God, there were a couple of other ones. But as we went on, um, was there one group of people that designed all these games at first? Well, there wasn't just one. I mean, there was there were successive waves of game designers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think back to the 80s, you know, Nintendo and a lot of the Japanese guys designed many of the really popular games. In fact, you know, right. after the whole uh, Atari thing crashed in, in the early 80s, I, I was in Japan uh, as an exchange student, and I saw this weird console that had buttons instead of joysticks. And I was like, what is that? Turns out that was the Nintendo Entertainment System, which came to the yeah. US a year later, and that became the second wave. And then they, you know, they went from 8-bit to 16-bit to 32-bit games. And, and, and I got involved in designing video games during the mobile game revolution. So we had a game called Tap Fish, which was pretty popular. Uh, but that was in 2008, so that was like another wave. But now the video game industry is bigger than Hollywood in terms of you know box office versus total money made. It's like a hundred billion dollars. Oh industry. God, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's not and, even. And close. it takes a lot more to build. I mean, Pac-Man was one guy basically designed and built it. Yeah. You know, same with many of these classic games. But today, a AAA game takes tens of millions of dollars and a team of people just like working, who are working on a movie to to build. I've seen credit sequences of oh, games yeah. that are like half an hour long. Yet. They just like keep scrolling. It's like how many people there must have been the new like Pokemon game. Eight hundred people who Takes. worked on this game. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> and yeah, like Pokemon. Now, one way to get around having to have so many people is you use computer uh, procedurally generated mm-hmm. graphics. Like there was a game called No Man's Sky that had yep. eighteen quintillion worlds. Mm-hmm. And you say, Well that's a very large number of planets. How are you ever gonna visit those? <laughs> And the reason is that if you ta- have 64 bits, that's the biggest number that you can actually mm-hmm. store in the computer using 64 bits. But they would generate those using fractal algorithms so that all the, the life forms, and the flora and fauna and the trees, you know, would all be generated on the fly only when somebody's there. Um, and, you know, that actually got me thinking that some of the, the mysteries of quantum physics, like what they call the observer effect, where reality only exists a certain way if somebody's there to observe it, like with Schrodinger's cat, whether it's dead or alive, you don't really know until somebody's there to observe it, that maybe our physical universe works like a video game, uh, where we only render onto your computer when somebody's playing the game, and that's how video games work. Uh, We only render that piece which your avatar can see at any, any point in time. God, what a great... This paragraph is magnificent. Simulation theory explains some of the biggest mysteries of quantum and relativistic uh, physics, such as quantum indeterminacy, parallel universes, and the integral nature of the speed of light. We're talking video games here, and most people would not be able to read that paragraph, I would think. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. The speed of light is involved. How is that? Yeah, if you think about it, uh, if you and I are playing World of Warcraft or Fortnite... Uh, what's the fastest that our signals you know, can be sent to the server? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're both interacting God. in the rendered world, but the rendered world only exists on our computer individually. There's no such thing as a shared rendered world. And so the speed of light is what's used for the electromagnetic communications back and forth. Now, now that's odd that that is the fastest that we can send information in the physical world, but it's also how our computers work and our video games would send information back and forth. So it's drawing the parallel. 
that perhaps the, the reason we can't send it information any faster than that is we're part of another computer network that we can't see that links to some cloud server somewhere that we can't see that's beyond the physical world or outside of this simulation or simulated reality. What a story. The book is called The Simulation Hypothesis. An MIT computer scientist shows why AI, quantum physics, and Eastern mystics all agree we are in a video game. Fascinating book. Riz Virk, V-I-R-K. Riz, thank you so much for your time today. What a, what a great subject. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, sir. We shall take a break and be back for Hour 2 with the family.